in Jesus, God himself stepped into our world, showing himself to our eyes and revealing himself to our minds. One moment we were alone, and the next God was with us. I read this in my Christian uh, Christmas devotional in the last couple of weeks. And as I read that, I thought to myself, why? Why did Jesus come that first Christmas? Why did he come to earth? John writes in the very first chapter of his gospel, John chapter 1, verse 17, verse 18. He says, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Jesus came to earth to make God known to us, to make God knowable, to give God a face. But how does he do that? And what do we learn about God through Jesus? And what he was like and how he came to this earth. Well, if you've been here these last few weeks of Advent, we've been reading this gospel story from um, Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 8, where the angels are making their appearance to the shepherds in the field. Very famous passage over the Christmas season. And I'm going to read it again, and we're going to talk about one of these things that the angels bring. In the form of Jesus. This is what it says in Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. So we've talked in here about how God sent Jesus in order to save us. He sent Jesus to help us not be afraid. And this morning, I want to talk about how God sent Jesus to reveal to us what the glory of God looks like. And again, John chapter 1 brings this to the front for us when he's talking about Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 14. Listen to what John writes. The word became flesh. Remember, the word was God and the word was with God. This is Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. How did Jesus reveal the glory of God? But even before that... What does the word glory mean? Have any of you ever asked yourself that question? We sing it, we say it, we pray it. But do we know what it actually means? It reminds me of one Christmas um, when my kids were in college, which is the time when your kids know the most things and you know the least. And um, my our oldest, uh, we were getting ready to light the Advent candle. And I don't remember if we lit them or I was just about to light them. And all of a sudden she says, you know, 
I don't really like doing this anymore. I don't even know what these words mean. We just throw them around. Love, joy, hope, and peace. She's like, the world is at war. Children are starving. And we're sitting in our nice home just lighting these candles, saying these words. <laughs> I'm like, well, why don't you just light the candles anyway, okay? <laughs> We've discussed this now. We've come to some kind of an understanding. But you know what I realized after I got over having my little pouty party? My goodness, she's right. We say these words all the time without often thinking about what they mean or should mean in this world and in our lives and without even comprehending the true definition of them. And glory is that same kind of word. It's a bit like a greased pig. It's hard to get your hands around. So I did some work. And in no way is this a full definition of the word glory. That would take about six hours. But this is what's helpful, I think, for us this morning. In Hebrew, which is the language of the Old Testament, the word for glory is the word kabod, which has as its meaning at its core this idea of something that is weighty or heavy, whatever is possessing weight in the sense of dignity was kabod. It was something that was full of glory or dense with power. So for a person... In the, in the, in the Old Testament days, it was their possessions and the magnificence of their wealth or their home or their surroundings that was called their kabod. Or as speakers of ancient Hebrew would say, a rich person was heavy in wealth or what we would call loaded. I wonder if that's where we got that phrase. But with God, it is not his possessions that are his glory. It is his very self. It is his nature that is his glory. For the people of the Old Testament, Jehovah, their God, was the ultimate being of weight and importance. In their minds, God had a density, a gravitas that was beyond comprehension. God was the realest of the real. He was not shallow. He was not flighty. He was not shadowy. He was not a lightweight. God is substantial. He is pure, perfect, powerful substance. And there are a couple, at least a couple other nuances of this word, kabod, both of them found in a story in Exodus chapter 33, where in a long kind of winding story that I won't give you all the details of, you can read it yourself when you go home, Exodus chapter 33, Moses asks God if he can see his glory. And God says this in verse 18 of chapter 33. Uh, I'll, I'll, read, I'll read verse 18 first. Moses said to God, now show me your glory. I thought that was a little bossy myself. Now show me your glory, God. And the Lord said, and get this, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. That's this whole other nuance of the word kabod, of glory. When we think of God's glory, we need to remember that what we're saying is that God has all good things in greater quantity and quality than we can ever imagine. God is heavy. God is loaded down. He is weighted down with goodness. And then there's this other nuance, which is incredibly beautiful. There's something in this word glory and kabod that has to do with brightness, 
that has to do with something's illumination, its bright light, its brilliance. And so in the same story, when Moses wants to see God, God's glory and God reveals it to him, and, and, and he asked Moses to, to kind of hide in a rock. That's where Rock of Ages cleft for me comes from, that whole song. Moses uh, wants to see God's glory and God reveals it to him, but only uh, the backside of his glory. Now, don't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. I think that's a funny little part of this story. Most people don't want to laugh about it, but it's funny, okay? Uh, and afterwards, so afterward, when God's glory goes by, Moses, and, and some other meetings between Moses and God happens, Moses goes back to meet with his people, and his face is radiant. It's brilliant. It's shining with the glory of God's light. And his brilliance. There's so many verses about this in the scriptures, but I love this one in Revelation chapter 21, 23, where John, you know, is having this incredible vision. And part of that vision is the eternal city. And he writes this. He says, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light. And the lamb is its lamp. Isn't that beautiful? So you put all these things together. And to talk about the glory of God, these are my words, the best I could come up with, is that God is super substantial. He is loaded beyond comprehension with goodness and power and kindness and might. He is everything good multiplied by infinity or infibity, as my kids used to say. I think that was William, infibity. <laughs> my kids are here, so I can, you know, I got to be a little careful. Um, <laughs> He is, he is anti-darkness. He is ultra-brilliant in both the literal and the figurative sense. He is so light, we learn in John chapter 1, that the darkness of this world, I want you to think about that for just a minute, the darkness of this world will never overcome the light of God. And Dave's going to talk about that Christmas Eve. This is the kabod, the glory of God. And some words like this can be defined, but they can also be experienced. And so I thought back through the years and came up with a couple moments in, in, in our lives, Chuck's in my life, when we it came as close as we could maybe to experiencing that. A long time ago, when we were first married, we lived in England. And one December, we decided to go to Scotland to buy our family some itchy woolen sweaters that we would take home and they would never wear. It's just kind of a thing we thought would be cool. And so the first night there, we were in Edinburgh, and Edinburgh in the winter is dark from like, well, it's just dark all the time. And so I, I, my memory is that we stumbled into this church, and it turned out, I brought a picture of it, it turned out to be... Giles Cathedral, which is John Knox's church. John Knox was the founder of Presbyterianism. And little did we know that night, um, I have a picture of the inside, they were going to have their full choir and a full orchestra um, playing the entire Handel's Messiah. And it was one of the most magical moments in our young lives. I think we literally sat in there with our mouths hanging open. That cathedral was just filled with what we felt like was the glory of God, this words and these, this music that just knocked us to our knees. 
Later that night, we went out to dinner and we thought we would be fun and order some pate. And this man came out with two plates and he set it down. I said to Chuck, I'm 100% confident this is spam. (laughs) This man just served us some spam. And then we ordered a bottle of wine and I looked over and the guy couldn't get the cork out. So he took it in his mouth and he was doing this. Glory ended at that moment. <laughs> so on that same time, I, we, we can't remember the details, but we were hiking in the hills in England and uh, we were down in a little valley when all of a sudden, literally with no warning, two of these flew over our head. They buzzed us. And the only th- these were two British fighter jets. The only thing we could do was suck in oxygen and fall down to the ground. That's how thunderous these jets were. They literally like took the air out of the place where we were. We experienced the kabod, the glory, the weightiness of these British fighter jets. And I bet all of you can think of a moment or two in your lives when you felt something like this. Listen to how one of my favorite writers puts it. He says, take the most glorious sight you've ever seen. A moment when your heart was surging to the point of bursting, when every ounce of you shimmered, every inch of you brimmed, and multiply that a million fold. And still all you have is the slightest echo, the faintest glint of God's eternal glory. One day we will see it. One day. We will have our hearts and eyes prepared to see it one day, but not yet. Now we can't even imagine it. Now beholding its unveiled splendor would consume us. We could sooner walk barefoot on the sun. We could more easily swallow the ocean. It's too much. So for now, his glory comes disguised for now his glory comes disguised and it especially came disguised in Jesus and that's what I want to spend the rest of our time talking about this morning because once you realize this idea and think about this idea you'll see that it's all over the New Testament The writer of Hebrews in the very first chapter right away says this. He said, the son, the son of God is the radiance of God's glory. There's that brightness idea and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And then Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. I love this verse. He said, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. The Bible tells us, and the angels in all of their glory and with their words announced that first night that Jesus shows us the glory of God. And after he was born and Mary took him to the temple and Simeon, the old man who had been waiting for the Messiah, got to hold the baby Jesus in his arms. He said, now I have seen the glory of my people, Israel. But Jesus reveals 
a very, very different kind of glory than what I described. See, the God who created all things, the God who spoke a word and created the galaxies, the God who could and still can can move his hand and cause nations to rise or fall, this glorious God entered this broken world as a helpless baby born to an unmarried teenager who was part of a very poor class of peasants. And the very first people to know about this birth, the shepherds were the most overlooked, underpaid, and despised class of people in Jesus' day. Max Lucado writes, The glory of God was born in the filth of sheep manure and sweat. The glory of God entered this world on the floor of a stable. It should cause us to ask this question, What kind of glory is this? How on earth is this humble baby born in obscurity the glory of his people? How is Jesus the glory of God? This story, this birth, that first Christmas tells us something very deep about the true nature of glory, about God's kabod. It tells us That God's glory is not only seen in the big and the powerful and the outwardly beautiful and the magnificent and the showy. But the glory of God is equally present in the small and the powerless and the outwardly unattractive and the quiet and the obscure and the margins. Somehow, In ways we can't comprehend, the glory of God is found not only in his grandeur, but it's found in his humility. This is the stunning truth of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God who became flesh and dwelled among us and then said, follow me, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Jesus, Paul writes in Philippians 2, shared the glory of God. He is in very nature God, but he did not consider that heavenly glory something to be clung to. But instead, for our sake, for your sake, he made himself nothing. And he took on the very nature of a servant, humbling himself to death. Even the humiliating death on a Roman cross. What kind of God is this? What kind of a God would manifest himself in humility and weakness and shame and suffering on behalf of people like you and me who mostly get it wrong? What kind of glory is this? God's are supposed to demonstrate their glory by staying high and away and pure and separate and then demanding that people strive to reach them. Gods are not supposed to stoop so low. What kind of God is this? This is our God. God 
redefines kabod, not as majesty alone, but as perfect majesty commingling with perfect humility. And part of why he did that is that so you and I, fragile creatures that we are, could come close to him without fear, without feeling that the thunderous majesty of his powerful glory would kill us. Perfect majesty and perfect humility. This is the glory of God in Jesus. And one day, in a way I do not fully understand, one day we will see God's glory in its fullness. Not just the backside, and we won't have to hide in a rock, but we will see all the sides of God's glory. And one day, God will come, not as a baby, but as a triumphant king. And not just that, but listen to this, Romans 8, verse 17. I had never really thought about this before. Paul writes this, Now if we are children, children of God, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. One day. We will not only see the glory of God, but we will share in it somehow. Ponder that for the rest of your life. But for now, as Paul writes, we see through a glass darkly. We can't yet bear God's full glory. So until that day, we must live here in this place where God's glory is often disguised. And it's so often disguised that we miss it, and we miss it partly because we too often look for God's glory in the big and the powerful and the showy and the loud, and we can certainly sometimes see it there. Of course, the scriptures tell us the whole earth is full of God's glory. But my friends, we cannot be fooled. Again, John tells us in this beautiful first chapter of his gospel, when he's talking about the glory of God being made manifest in Jesus, he says this in verse 9 of chapter 1. He says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own. But his own did not receive him. People missed it. They missed him. And I believe it was mainly because they were always looking high when they should have been looking low. Jesus shows us that. Jesus was always looking low and into the margins. While the religious leaders around him were either looking at themselves or they were looking high. And too often we are like them. The key to seeing God's glory today is looking not only high, but also looking very low. Because low is where God showed up that first Christmas and the angels cried out, glory. So though we can see God's glory in a powerful snowstorm or in a pink-tinged sunrise... We can recognize it when we look at the Grand Canyon or the Rocky Mountains. We can hear it in Handel's Messiah and feel it in the thunder of jets. We also can and must see Jesus and his strangely disguised glory 
in our elderly neighbor or in a tough teenager who just needs one person to believe in him or in a child who needs a winter coat. I bet for any of you who were at the Christmas store, you saw and felt the glory of Jesus there. We can often see it if we'll look at ourselves with grace. We can see the disguised glory of God in our very own bedraggled and contradictory self. We can see God's disguised glory in someone who votes differently than we do. And someone who looks differently than we do. And even in someone who believes differently than we do. And the scriptures tell us that we need to look for the glory of God in the widow and the orphan and the fatherless and the foreigner. And in the hungry and the naked and the poor and the lost and the lonely and the mourning and the sad, and the overlooked. And we can not only see it, but while we have breath on this earth, we can also demonstrate it. We can glorify God. And we often think, when we think about people glorifying God, we think about people who are doing really big things, really famous things, like an athlete who makes a touchdown and then points up. I don't ever understand that. A loud, showy preacher, the CEO of a company, whatever, these people are doing things that bring glory to God. But I think Jesus shows us a different way. And that it is more often in the unseen and the quiet and the selfless that God is glorified. We can demonstrate the kabod of Jesus every time we live in his ways, when we stoop real low, when we put someone else ahead of ourselves, when we wrap the servant's towel over our arm and we bend real low to wash the feet of those we love, to wash the feet of those we push to the margins, to wash the feet even of those who seek to betray us as Jesus washed the feet of Judas, to wash the feet even of our enemies. And in some amazing upside-down, kingdom-of-God kind of way. Every act of humble service displays. I don't know how it works, but it displays, it shines, it demonstrates the light, the goodness, the majesty, the weightiness, the kabod of God. When we do this, Jesus says, when we serve someone else in his name, we shine a bright light on his glory. We glorify God which is our sole purpose in this world. May your Christmas, may this week, may your life be filled to the full with the glory of God in Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. God, your glory is too big for our feeble minds to understand. And yet in your kindness in your humility, in your gentleness with us. Your son gave up everything to come here to show us your face, to demonstrate to us your kindness, to show us not only your power, but your goodness and your light, the light that no darkness will ever overcome. God, help us to look for you. 
Help us to look for your glory in the big and the shiny and the noisy, but also in the small and the unattractive and the obscure. Help us to look for your glory in the face of a neighbor. And help us to glorify you by living in the ways that Jesus so beautifully lived. We pray we can all do that this Christmas season and into the rest of the year. We pray in the powerful, glorious, humble name of Jesus. Amen.